0: I thought he was giving off himbo energy at the start of this book. Um, I I thought he was going to be more like that throughout, but I do think later on in the book, after he's like lived more of his life and gone through some shit, um, he he changes a little bit. He seems a little more self-aware and a little more emotionally like connected and and um, aware of like the effect he has maybe on women. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Early on, I was getting like a, like oh I'm so good looking, women all like me. I'm a little bit oblivious to it. I'm I'm oblivious to this you know to this woman Alina who who is clearly into me and I just can't like like I I, I don't know. I was getting like maybe he's not super clever early on right. vibes, but he's just this like hot guy. Um, but I I think he grows past that. But that. that 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 was my first impression with the character at least. I agree, yeah. to episode 179 of the ink to film podcast where we read the book and then see the movie i'm luke and i'm james and this week we're discussing lee bardugo's 2012 novel shadow and bone so james which one of us is the sun summoner and which one is the darkling that's my question (laughs)
1: um i don't want to spoil anything but i do think that i i relate more to the sun summoner
0: i don't know about you okay Uh, yeah no i like that
1: there's uh, Darkling is an interesting character, you know, well, well, we
0: talked about in our um, Good Omens coverage. I think you you got to be the Dark Angel and I was the light. So, uh, yeah, switch it up. <laughs> we'll switch it up this time. I'll be the the, the wrapped in darkness one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we've been through a lot since then.
0: So, yeah, we're reading Shadow and Bone this week. We read Shadow and Bone this week. Um, yeah, let's just start out in general. Like, what were your takeaways? What, did you enjoy reading it?
1: I did. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. 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 Um, the world building and everything in this world, I I really liked the the shadow fold. I thought was a really unique detail and and like a fun like evil zone and that was always looming throughout the story. Um, it feels like a YA story in in some of the facets. Like some of the some of the trappings of a YA novel are here. There's like there's the romance. Well, it, it is a YA novel, so. <laughs> right? right, <laughs> Yeah, the romance and some of the uh, some of the ways that this felt like a a first in a series of novels, um, mm. setting up like a larger world. Um. Like, it kind of feels like we're get, Yeah, yeah just feels like we're getting like a small portion that was reminds it, 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 like it's going to be hard not to draw comparison to to like the YA novel that i read growing up harry potter so just to say Is, like, is that
0: is that the only YA novel you've read have you you must have read some others right? i
1: absolutely have but that was like the massive one like that was the one that right. was like very much in, like that you know harry potter was was what turned me into a big reader grow, as a kid so like that's mm-hmm. that's like a frame of reference for me but um It very much feels like a Sorcerer's Stone. It very much feels like something where you're getting a nice introduction to a new world that's exciting. And then there's so much lurking on the outskirts that you're not given information on or there's mysteries left unveiled and everything like that. Um, So, yeah, I I enjoyed it as a first entry.
0: Tip of the iceberg, right? Like, clearly there is so much more to this world. and And like you said, we're only shown a little bit of it. Um, and, you know, that's by design in some ways. And and also, you know, she's continuing to write this series over the years and adding to it and adding layers, I'm sure. So uh, I'm sure there are listeners who are well into the Grisha verse, you know, have, have read his future novels and um, are probably going to get frustrated with us a little bit if we're like we don't know what we're talking about. Um, we've only read this one book. Um, so and this is our very first introduction. Neither of us had read this before. This it's very new to us. Um, So everything we're going to be talking about is based off of this book alone. Um, So yeah, I guess keep that in mind. Um, Also, like I want to talk a little bit about the YA category in fiction and also like how I read this book. Um, So I am writing a book that I am hoping will be a debut novel for me. Um, It is not YA. It is adult Um, sci-fi. I don't typically write in that category. However, when I was at my writing popular fiction program um, at Seton Hill University, um, I I was writing a fantasy novel at the time, also adult. But I, because of that, I was sort of paired up with and teamed up with other fantasy writers in the program. Um, and so I have actually read a lot of excerpts from or even entire manuscripts of people who are writing what they hoped would be debut fantasy novels, some of which was either YA or Borders on YA. Um and so because of that I've actually read a lot of first manuscripts. And uh I I went into this book with that background and knowing that this was a debut. Um and because of that uh I was I also like was able to pick up a lot of stuff that I would consider first novel issues that some people have and I found it was very interesting to find some of them present um in this book that was you know I mean obviously a big bestseller you know successful novel um which always shows me like certain things it's like well they they tell you that this is super important but then you know how important is it so anyway I I I sort of read this book it, it through that lens of like trying to study it as a debut as a as a piece of YA fiction um and as a piece of fantasy and you know through each of those sort of approaches i was able to find different things Mm -hmm. um so why the ya category um has exploded in popularity um in the last like 10 years but even before that 20 years you know um it is it is incredibly popular to this day it is Um, a category that is designed for the age range of 12 to 18 um, typically features protagonists in that age range Um, it tends to focus heavily on like high emotional stakes um, and issues that would be appealing or interesting to teenage readers
1: and relatable too, like like things that they're going through
0: absolutely um Now, that does not mean that adults don't read it. (laughs) Obviously, many adults read this category. Um, I I saw somewhere that like 70% of all YA novels are purchased by people who are outside of that age category. However, many of them may be buying them for their teenage children. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to know exactly what the actual breakdown is of adults who are reading this. But there's definitely many who do. I think people are drawn to that those clear emotional stakes, those identifiable, you know, everybody went through this phase in their life where, you know, like romance was new, you know, you're finding yourself. And um, I think people always enjoy stories. Many people at least will always enjoy stories um, set in that time of your life. And YA tends to be that. Now, everything I'm saying is not hard and fast rules. It's just G- generally, yeah. that's I mean,
1: I know plenty of people who are well over that age that that love YA. I know people who mm-hmm. are in, of all age ranges who love YA. I, I like dipping into YA. It's not you know when I was that age that you're talking about, I absolutely devoured YA novels. Like you're saying, yeah. like I I remember going to the library and just like picking up all these series, and they and there's something very similar about a lot of them, and it's because and there 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 are like familiar things that you'll see in in YA stories, um, but. It's funny to me because like some people almost see YA as like this um, almost a guilty pleasure and I don't even think it has to be seen through that lens though because like um, one thing that it reminds me of is uh, in the anime community there's a lot of people who will like push back against shonen anime because they're for specific age ranges but there's so many different stories that are told within that framework that are that are different enough to differentiate themselves and be interesting while also sort of being familiar. And that's like a safe zone for a lot of people to just sort of um, continue like engaging with these stories. Um, So it reminds me a lot of YA because, of course, there's going to be comparisons made like I already made a comparison to Harry Potter with this with this novel here. But everyone knows that Harry Potter was read by, you know, so-and-so's mom, this grandma over here, this, this grandpa. Of everyone course, yeah. in the world read Harry Potter at the time or, you know, seemingly. I, I, and, and I guess I'm speaking from personal experience because I can remember a time being like, oh, I don't read YA and like kind of pushing back against it. And now I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sort of settled into it at this point to where like it doesn't engage me quite as much as it used to. But I still do enjoy these stories. Like I still have a fun time. Uh, like especially engaging with the world that people have built. Like like I said, that, that's one thing that really kind of latched its hooks into me. And in this story is is I, I really was drawn into this world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I, I wanted to like lay out all that stuff, and also like I'm an adult man. <laughs> um, so in all the ways in which I am not like the intended audience, and also give some insight into like how I read this book. Um, and 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 all of that, you know, considered. I, I did enjoy this book. Um, I I loved the Russian-inspired world building. Um, it felt fresh to me. Um, it felt you know, exciting. The characters were relatable. They um, were mostly very interesting. Uh, I, I liked the... There's some misdirects that happened. I don't want to get into spoilers. There's some misdirects in the plot that I felt like um, really worked. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of familiar tropes here. Um, for YA, but then also for fantasy in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was enough of a twist to where you're able to achieve that familiar with a twist magic that a lot of um, people talk about in publishing, especially in genre fiction, that is often being looked for. Um, and finding that right balance of like, I want to be familiar enough, but also have enough of a twist to stand out. Um, and, and it's interesting to think about this book uh, in those ways. I I found the small science magic system surrounding the Grisha um, to be really intriguing. Um, it, it felt again familiar, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I, it seems like there's a lot of complexity. Beneath the surface yeah. within the magic system that we didn't necessarily get in this first book I felt a lot of that, that I would well. be really interested to get more of yeah going forward I
1: felt like it was a it was a deliberate attempt to hold back information so that we we understood the powers we understood how different factions were had contained different people and how you know typically they're almost seen as like royals the people who have who have uh powers in this story and they're 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 like a different, almost a different like species. They're kind of they're kind of like all beautiful and all like this kind of thing. And then that's all subverted with our main character, because I did think there was like a a deliberate attempt to sort of set her up as a certain type of character and then build her up in a different way. Which I and I did enjoy Alina's uh, arc in this story.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff to get into with Alina. Her arc is was interesting. Her romantic interests uh carried it in a lot of ways um i did just as a, as a point of criticism I, I found her to be very passive protagonist especially which
1: i, I wanted to say that because especially early on like the first couple chapters i was I, I felt like the the story was passing her by and i was like yeah i was surprised because typically that's when you you kind of relate with a character and get you know brought into the world a little more
0: She, throughout the plot, I would say, feels like she's kind of getting swept along. Um, She's getting carried around by events, uh, bouncing off of other characters who know more than her and are manipulating her in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, it it feels a little bit passive. And I, I mention this because this is a concern that is often comes up in people's first novels, um, is that they people tend to write more passive protagonists um, early on when they're when they're mm. just getting started writing. So and,
1: and like to give her the benefit of the doubt, I do think there is a deliberate attempt to like have a character that is relatable to someone who's insecure or like you know feels like they're not fully respected for who they are, who they feel like they are inside. And like there's that, and yeah. obviously we see the arc going on and we see. Her develop as a character and like there can be an argument to be said for like that that was a deliberate attempt but i i agree it did still even even through most of the novel it did feel like decisions were being made for her
0: yeah so there's not a lot we can really get into with specifics until we get into the spoiler section so let's hold off um we can talk more about that when we get to that section i I do want to talk about lee bardugo the person a little bit that i was able to find because um, I think it's a really interesting story. This is a very modern author, um, still writing right now. Um, she obviously debuted in 2012, um, so so very new. Let's talk about her a little bit. Lee Bardugo was born in Jerusalem, Israel, and grew up in Los Angeles, California, where she was raised by her grandparents. She is a non-practicing Jew and an uh, and of Sephardic Jewish descent on her father's side, and Ashkenazi Jewish, which is Russian Jewish and Lithuanian Jewish, descent on her mother's side. I thought that was interesting because of the Russian-Jewish connection. Yeah.
1: I'm non- non-practicing non 23% Ashkenazi Jewish, by the way, as well.
0: Really? Yeah. I did not know that about you. That's fascinating. Wow. What, where, what side of your family does that come from? My mom's side. Cool. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, well, you have that in common with Lee Bardugo a little bit. Awesome. She attended Yale University, where she graduated a degree in English in 1997. Before publishing her first novel, she worked in copywriting and journalism, as well as makeup and special effects, Uh, which the makeup and special effects I think was particularly interesting because of some of the stuff that goes on in the book, which we can get to. Yeah. Um, So, Bardugo's debut novel, Shadow and Bone, is the first book in the Grisha trilogy and it was published in 2012 by Macmillan. The novel hit number eight on the New York Times bestseller list. The other books in the trilogy are Siege and Storm and Ruin and Rising, which were published by Macmillan in 2013 and 2014, respectively. So she had a book come out every year for those first three years, and and she's got a bunch more come out, so she's kind of kept this pace up. She's writing a lot. Uh, The Six of Crows duology, which includes The Six of Crows and Crooked Kingdom, uh, was published in, by Macmillan in 2015 and 2016, so we're talking every year. Wow! Um, it is set in the same universe as the Grisha trilogy, sometimes collectively referred to as the Grishaverse, which I mentioned earlier. Bardugo then wrote the first book in the D- DC Icon series, which are novelizations of DC Comics' biggest superheroes. Her Wonder Woman Warbringer was published by Penguin Random House in 2017. So awesome! She went and wrote a Wonder Woman. Novel. I didn't know that. That's so cool. In 2019, Bardugo published her first adult novel, Ninth House, which won the 2019 Goodreads Choice Award for Best Fantasy Novel. I would be really interested to read an adult novel by her yeah. um, that that maybe is a little more in my wheelhouse of like, things that I would read for generally what i would gravitate towards yeah. for entertainment personally,
1: I, I guess just to ask you here up front while we're still in general ish before before we get into any of the other stuff uh, would yeah. you do you do you want to continue this like is this a series that you want to because i want to i wonder like how yeah audience uh, like our audience is listening to this right now and thinking we feel about it
0: yeah um i w- d- would definitely be interested in reading more um i, I think this is one where the a- i'm really excited for the adaptation because I think the adaptation is going to include a lot of information that wasn't necessarily laid out when she was writing this first book mm-hmm. and when you're going back and adapting something you have the benefit of seeing everything in the universe yeah um, so I think that the if the adaptation is as good as I hope it is I could see that really juicing up my excitement for the series and um, going into like a second season if it seems like the events from the second season are going to line up with the events from the second book, I could definitely see myself being excited to to cover that in the future. Yeah. Especially if people are interested Yeah, <laughs> again. Definitely.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I agree. I enjoyed this. I think, I think that should be stated like w- multiple times throughout. Cause we are, I do feel like we're going to have some criticisms here, but we're yeah. not necessarily the target demographic for this, for this story. But um, I, I am excited for the adaptation. I absolutely will continue on. If, if there's interest in it, like I, I, I'm excited to see like where else the story could go. So Shadow
0: and Bone is her first novel. When Entertainment Weekly questioned Bardugo about her inspiration for the series, she explained, quote, In most fantasy, darkness is metaphorical. It's just a way of talking about evil. Darkness falls across the land. A dark age is coming, etc. I wanted to take something figurative and make it literal. So the question became, what if darkness was a place? What if the monsters lurking there were real and more horrible than anything you'd ever imagined beneath your bed or behind the closet door? If you had to fight them on their own territory, blind and helpless in the dark, these ideas eventually became the shadow fold. So I, we always talk about story seats, and I found this really interesting. Mm-hmm. At the back of my book, there was a little interview um, that asked her just random questions about her life. And one of the questions was about the idea, where did, where did it come from? And she mentioned a, a moment, I can't remember if it was in her own house or at a it might have been at a friend's house, where she like saw like a shadow at the end of a hallway and like was convinced there was a monster in it mm-hmm. and became like really terrified. And um, I think she specifically mentioned like a monster with teeth or something. And um, it gave her the idea of like a, a fantasy setting where there is there are creatures in the darkness and that you have to go there to actually fight them
1: yeah the i mean yeah. the shadow fold is is probably the shadow fold and the magic system are and and sort of the world building overall like if we talked about the russian you you mentioned the russian influence are the things that really um like st- struck me and and the, sh- the shadow fold specifically because i love that you know it's not there there have been similar things in, in other fantasy stories that i've read but this is like i feel like this is again a situation where i feel like we've just scraped the surface of the shadow fold like there's so much more to like how how did it come about what is it you know is it a dimension that we're opening is it this is yeah. it that like what 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 is the dark fold is it literally just like dark magic to to yeah. be de- determined i guess
0: yeah exactly we don't get answers to a lot of that in this first book but i assume it's explored more in later books so speaking of the the russian stuff bardugo was inspired to model her fantasy world ravka after the russian empire of the early 1800s when asked why she chose such a peculiar setting bardugo explained and it, this, I don't know why it's peculiar. It's just a different setting, but okay. That's the <laughs> thing I'm reading. <laughs> um, she said, I think there's tremendous power in the images we associate with Russian culture and history. These extremes of beauty and brutality that lend themselves to fantasy. And honestly, as much as I love broadswords and flagons of ale, and believe me, I do, I wanted to take readers someplace a little different. Tsarist Russia gave me a different point of departure. So yeah, I I think that's a a great explanation for why you might do this. I think if you're an aspiring author, um, recognizing that there is a saturation point for the sort of Western-inspired D&D-ish fantasy out there, Mm -hmm. and if you can take a different tact, it could be well worth it to you to do so, especially if you can tap into something from your own history that way um you can be more authentic in in sort of representing it
1: yeah as far as world history goes like i haven't i haven't studied well enough russian to to know you know i know of like certain ivan the terrible i know about some of the like famous ones that you touch on yeah but going back to like the 1800s like the empire was so like you see images of it and it's so striking and it's so unique to itself you know you can tell right away that it's russia in the 1800s
0: well, and elsewhere, she talked about this huge, dramatic uh, difference between the palaces and how the uh, you know the extreme beauty and opulence as yeah. compared to the extreme poverty mm-hmm. of the common citizens. So she found that like really, really striking and a potential for a lot of dramatic. Uh, yeah.
1: You know. Well, and, and in her world, there's there's wars. Like it's just a, a constant yeah. world world at war. It seems like so far.
0: Yeah. So one other thing that I I, I found. Uh, really fascinating um so bardugo progressed through the steps of querying agents to accepting representation to being offered a three book deal in 37 days jesus
1: wow the
0: grisha series went to auction on december 1st of 2010 and was sold to henry holt and macmillan on december 3rd which is pretty incredible like going to auction is the dream for anybody selling a three book deal amazing um, the idea that you would be selling your book within a month of getting representation uh, You know a little over a month that's it's just wild. So it's one of those things where it's like it does still happen Yeah, um, it's incredibly rare. So it's it, you don't want to like pin your hopes on this happening right. it's, You know very uncommon
1: how, just out of curiosity if something's going to auction like this How how polished is that version like you just have like your, your kind of your final manuscript that's gone through it varies. Yeah,
0: um, so Here I expect there wasn't a lot of revision um. after signing with the agent merely because of the time frame we're talking about. There's yeah. no time for it. So usually when you sign with an agent, there could be uh, some revision based off of the agent's notes. They might say, like, you know, I want to represent you. I believe in this book. However, here's some stuff I think we should do to improve it. Mm-hmm. And then you might take some time working on it before you actually go on submission. Um, and that, I, I mean, I think clearly that didn't happen here. So I suspect it was close, but that does not mean that once it was acquired, it didn't go through an editorial process. Um, it very likely did. So it's hard to know without, you know, having Lieber to go tell us yeah. <laughs> um, what exactly may have changed from the point in which it went to, went to auction and when, what we actually ended up seeing. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, so that's I mean, I, I read uh, that interview at the end of my books, so I have like some more other random tidbits and stuff, which I'll, I'll I'll pepper in if they become relevant. But I felt like that was enough to get a feel for her. She, yeah, you know, she worked as this uh, a makeup artist, which I think is really interesting for some of the magic we see and how it works. Um, she also noted that she like worked at a beer garden one time, and she, uh, like it's like a copy editor and all this all these different assorted jobs. Um, and I think that's really interesting also in the sense of there's a lot of magical thinking about authors. And I feel like uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who feel like, well, you never hear about an author being this or being that. So this, you know, this must mean I'm not going to be successful if I work this job or I do this thing. But like, that is definitely not the case. Like there's all sorts of, you know, varied backgrounds work, you know, like in fact, all that stuff can bring you texture. It can become a, strength for you Mm -hmm. um like clearly she used her knowledge of of makeup and and um special effects and all that stuff and 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 was able to employ that in the writing in an interesting way so yeah don't feel bad about your your random jobs and you know feel like that is somehow holding you back if anything it could be a strength um okay so if you're ready i think let's get into some spoiler talk um i have a plot summary which is divide i've divided into three chunks um and we can sort of just go through it chunk at a time and react to it. Let's do it. I have a lot to say. So Alina Starkov is a teenage girl who grew up with Malian Oretsev at an orphanage in Karimzin in the kingdom of Ravka. The story begins as they march through the Unsea, also called the Fold, a perpetually dark, barren strip of land cutting most of Ravka off from the sea. Periodic expeditions sent across the sea to transport goods and bring back imports are often plagued by monsters called the Volcra that inhabit the Unsea. During their crossing, the Volcra attack, and while saving Mal, Alina displays an extraordinary Grisha talent. The Grisha are people with the ability to manipulate the elements to use as a weapon, to call fire, to summon wind, to stop hearts. Alina can summon light. The leader of the Grisha, the Darkling, rushes Alina to the capital Saying her power is unique and valuable, which makes her an assassination target by the enemies of Ravka. Okay, so that's the opening to the book. Mm-hmm. What were your What were your thoughts on this this first part and the introduction of the characters? Yeah, like
1: all the way back to the beginning, the orphanage. Yeah. I think I think giving um, having these two characters connected in that way—they're the only people who who care about each other in this whole world—is um, a good setup, and it has a lot of drama built up in it because that's such an intense relationship there. And then, you know, right away, we know that she is like interested in him. They grow. So we go from the orphanage and we get the scene where they're. It's
0: interesting because it's an
1: orphanage, but it's also like
0: it's also like the Duke's house. Yeah. right? Yeah. So um, I guess the Duke brings in orphans. Yes. To, to their house yes yeah.
1: <laughs> and then so so Grisha are there for some reason and that's our introduction to Grisha and we get a little bit they, of explanation there
0: yeah they they do there's some sort of testing that goes on mm-hmm. for children who demonstrate some sort of affinity for this magic um so so present early on um, I, I really like the idea of these two mal mal and Alina sort of sneaking around, hiding in cupboards. Um, they form this this bond with each other, and it's clear that they're going to be like lifelong friends because of this, and, and kind of, you know, there's going to be an attraction there when they get older. Um, I, I was assuming that was going to happen. Um, because they're not related, they were brought in at different times, you know what I mean? So she's not, even though he's like a brother to her, he is not a brother. Um, this is also, uh, they are orphans, and she is sort of the tro- the chosen one, so these are two big tropes in fantasy, and um, they're present here. So, so like I was saying before, like there are a lot of there are a lot of tropes, and like I think f- new authors lean into tropes more because they are familiar with them, they love them, and they it, it's kind of an easy touchdown. It's a jumping off point when you're plotting, too. yeah. Now, that's not to say she doesn't do enough here to make it different, and I think she does, right? Um, But I I do think that if you're someone who reads a lot of this kind of stuff, and that kind of becomes the, like, that's the point of uh, where you might lose some people, is if people read a lot of YA, read a lot of fantasy, they can see a couple of orphans with a chosen one and roll their eyes and say, I've seen this too many times. Mm -hmm. I, I want to read something more different than that. Now, yes, maybe the, the Russian stuff is enough to hold on, hold, hold them in the world because that's different, but that's going to vary from reader to reader. Um, and I, I just found myself wondering how many people who otherwise might enjoy the series if they keep going on, find this to be kind of a stumbling block early. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's going to I think it's going to hit each person differently. It's it's. If you're willing, because like going into the story knowing it was YA, I think I was I was ready to cut slack and like give the benefit of the doubt for like certain tropes. Like I knew that we were gonna see some tropes, and um, partially because like I sort of knew the like the the premise of the of the story. Like I had read like a a little, um, you know, like back of the book kind of right. summary kind of thing of it. So I was like, okay, so it's gonna be a pretty pretty um familiar sort of story but i i was happy to see that it was a female protagonist because that doesn't that you know historically i think i think maybe more recently it's become it's become um more normal but that historically it wasn't the case so you know just Mm. shout out to having a a female protagonist that was in this case the chosen one like i think i think typically it's a male character
0: yes that's true uh farm boy chosen one farm boy trope um yeah that's accurate I i would say that ya um is kind of dominated by women authors right now um there so there is a lot there is like you said recently that has changed at least within this category um you know you look at something like the hunger games you look at twilight um there are a lot of these ya um franchises with a a woman protagonist as the you know a young girl protagonist as the main character um and and we're getting that here. I, I kept thinking of The Hunger Games, which is like one of the few novels in this category that I have read. I have not read Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not read some others, you know, in this. I, there's probably a few that I'm not there slipping my mind that I've read. But um, I, I particularly kept thinking of Hunger Games because um, of what we get into a little bit, which I guess we can touch on here um, because we get introduced to the Darkling um through this well let, before we get to the darkling let's talk let's focus on mal a little bit more because mm. we get like uh, after the opening which is there's kind of a prologue which i thought was interesting because prologues are another thing that are a big hot button issue which i could talk about for a long time there's a you know but <laughs> are, um, you there for, is a prologue are you here. for or against
1: are you i like i like them yeah
0: and the thing is like as with all things it has to be done well and it has to be done for a reason. Um, I, I, like the idea of like the prologue and epilogue here are called before and after in the book. Um, they serve as bookends for the story. They, um, I, I sometimes like like a ramping up and a ramping down, uh, a little bit of like a, Hey, we're about to get into the story proper, but I want to like have, I have this important bit of information that occurs before that you need that I want to show you It's it's important. So don't get me wrong, but it's set up as, as sort of a appetizer to the main course Now, some people don't like that at all. Uh, Many agents uh, out there will balk at the idea of it. Now, I think partially this this is because agents only get often when they're first getting a a sample, like your first five or ten pages. And the first five or ten pages, if you write a prologue, you're sending in a prologue, um, and they probably so they probably read a lot of prologues and then have to try and extrapolate out. what the rest of the book is going to be like and it's frustrating because it's like this isn't really what the book's going to be like this is a prologue i can see that so i think that's affecting it a little bit i don't know how many of them realize that but uh you know that's different than most readers yeah who don't view prologues the same way i
1: do yeah i agree i i I don't push back against prologues but i do i I typically like a prologue that's like um if it's going to be something give us like give us flavor for the world that's like ancient you know what i mean something that's happened a long time ago that that then we get to it's so separated from the main story that it's sort of just giving like context and background a little bit and then we jump into the story um because in this case you like that or you don't like i, that. I do like that interesting yeah because i i typically don't like i i would prefer i think most of the time to jump straight in the story if if the prologue has to do with our characters pretty directly like if it's um I don't know. I guess it's just a preference because it it gives it an epic feel when when it's something that's like ancient magical history
0: or something Mm. that's setting up a story that you then live in. But what's maybe. funny is, is that kind of prologue is I think the most hated kind. <laughs> I think people really don't like that. Like if it's something that is like ancient and disconnected yeah. from our main characters in a lot of way, a lot of people go just cut. I this. like that. Yeah,
1: I know. Yeah, I like it. So
0: that's funny. I mean, and that's, that's interesting data point. Cause I, once again, readers are somehow, are sometimes different than industry people. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, people would counter that like you only have on average, like a page or five pages to hook a hook reader somebody, yeah. before they'll decide whether or not they want to read it. Yeah. And do you want to read, do you want to lead off with your ancient, you know, backstory stuff? Yeah. Um, it's tough. Um, it's also a kind of thing that like when you're more established in your career, and you have like a a devoted readership, I feel like you can get away with a little bit more. It's, you know, uh, often if it's like your debut, people are like, well, don't do it in your debut. So there's a lot of weird rules about debuts here that, that we can touch on throughout. But anyway, that's, that's all beside the point of, there is a prologue here. We go forward in time and we see uh, Alina uh, as this cartographer working on the front uh, uh, near the shadow fold. Um, Mal is this tracker now, Um, He's got these kind of bro-ish friends that he hangs out with and we see them sort of uh, interacting in a way that I think it's very clear that she is attracted to him um, but she is, like, afraid to say anything. She doesn't want to, you know, reveal her feelings because she doesn't think that he feels the same way about her. Mm -hmm. Um, She sees him as someone who has a lot of attention from women um, and whether or not it's accurate, she, she sees him as being, like, okay with that and maybe even flirtatious with a lot of them and because of that she sees it as a Um, indication that he's not actually into her Um, Mm -hmm. i do think we get some implications that maybe she's like reading into stuff too much and that it's not actually going down that way but
1: yeah i have two things here so uh, eventually we do kind of find out that he was like he kind of like this is much later but he apologizes for not like seeing her for who she is and everything later on but um with her character something that's like kind of frustrating but also goes into the whole arc if you want to give the benefit of the doubt of of our main character alina is she's like a cartographer right she's like she's like well qualified to do it i think she's they say that she's pretty good at it and then mm-hmm. she but she's just so down on herself like she doesn't believe yeah. in herself in any way um she doesn't and, think she's attractive exactly and and she doesn't and, think she's um,
0: capable or brave
1: and then it's almost like as we see like her power develop she gets some more confidence but yeah. there's also something interesting wrapped up in the fact that like she's kind of suppressing her powers we come to find out which we can touch on yeah, um, yeah.
0: That, that that's revealed later yeah yeah
1: in essence, like maybe she was so down on herself due to the fact that she was suppressing all of this stuff of herself mm-hmm. so she could stay with Mal. That's kind of how it's explained uh, eventually. But uh, it does it does. It makes for a less interesting protagonist to go along with yeah. when they're this sort of like wishy-washy.
0: Yeah, it can. And again, it, it, she's a very passive character. Uh, in this sense too, because she doesn't, she isn't very self assured. She isn't very confident, mm-hmm. um, and so because of that, she tends to be more passive. But let's talk a little bit about Mal, mm-hmm. um, the the sort of first romantic lead that we see, the main romantic lead. Um, I thought he was giving off himbo energy at the start of this book. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I I thought he was going to be more like that throughout, but I do think later on in the book, after he's like lived more of his life and gone through some shit. Um, he he changes a little bit he seems a little more self aware and a little more emotionally like connected and, and um, aware of like the effect he has maybe on women I don't know mm-hmm. early on I was getting like, a, like oh I'm so good looking women all like me I'm a little bit oblivious to it I'm, I'm oblivious to this you know to this woman Alina who, who is clearly into me and I just can't like like I I, I don't know I was getting like maybe he's not super clever <laughs> early on right. vibes but he's just this like hot guy um, but I, I think he grows past that but that that was my first impression with the character
1: i agree yeah again i don't think it was the most compelling uh sort of will they won't they to to start it off i -hmm. think that i think that the characters get a lot more interesting after post powers like i think so he's he's of course like a hunter um you know well established like like capable type person Mm -hmm. and then we get into a battle uh which we just talked about where there's like fucking crazy creatures with gnashing mouths that are like going to tear him apart and then she jumps in and saves him um yeah and then i think that's like a humbling experience for him there and and then i think like that 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 mixed with the fact that he like couldn't protect her and all that stuff maybe changes his perspective as we go on
0: well and metaphorically right like it's it's interesting she talks about the literal darkness and you know making things literal but i think metaphorically the idea of her inner light being her strength yeah um, that is sort of secret and has been suppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think is interesting, right? Like, so her inner light is what what saves him and what reveals that she is the Sun Summoner to the Darkling, who we got to talk about.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about how she's the Chosen One, right? I thought yep. there was a, an interesting, like, s- slight subversion with the Chosen One trope because typically the Chosen One is just like all powerful. And, like, they've, they're, they're just, like, going to figure it out by sheer well, force of will. Well, there's
0: always a training. There's always a training sequence, right. I t- t- like. training There's montage, almost always a, yeah. a learning to use the powers mm-hmm. section of these books and these stories. So. Right.
1: But uh, I guess what I'm saying is she, um, her power specifically, like, because of the element is why I think she's powerful in the story and then eventually the antler stuff that we'll get into. But... Yeah. uh it's she's not necessarily like immediately just overpowered because she has the, she's like the one chosen one who can do this at least as far as I can tell it seems like it just so happens that darkness is what is is in this realm and what's the opposite of darkness is light and that that's what mm-hmm. her power ended up being so it's like almost like a type advantage versus like a you're the chosen ultimate master uh, of all magic
0: see what you're saying, but yes, but then there's also only one. Right. So I think it's interesting. Like she is this, she is she is not a sound summoner. And there's been many. She's this one, and she's sort of like the person who's supposed to save the 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 realm from the shadow fold and and all this stuff. So in that sense, it does feel very chosen one to me. Um, but let's talk about first off the Grisha, which I've heard her say that she felt like. Sort of um, by sound evokes geisha, which I, yeah, that's interesting, right? Like, and she said that she likes that it evokes a sense of like beauty and etherealness and power. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- I, I like knowing that because it shows me how she views these these characters, and they're sort of said to be sort of like otherworldly in their looks and appearance. That like clearly their magic um, it seems to extend their lives sometimes or make them seem younger than they are, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, this the they, the Grisha are all surrounding the Darkling who is sort of like the most powerful among them and he uh, is who identifies like and has her brought before him so that he can figure out what's going on with her he ends up like scratching her cutting her and her, her makes her, her light like come out you know and prove that she is this Sun Summoner character who he is interested in um, and he is described as this like like he wears a lot of black he's dark and mysterious he's handsome he's a kind of of an unknown age but around her age a little bit older um i was getting like kind of vampiric vibes from him For i don't sure. know about you like For especially sure. after reading interview with a vampire and some other vampire stuff we've gone into i was like yeah. getting some some of that kind of vibes i mean as soon as you have a character
1: yeah. who's older than they look and they like like you said have have a lot of like dark mysterious stuff going on you're gonna get that in in your story
0: yeah, and traditionally those characters are have been sex symbols, and and you know people love reading about them. So you're kind of getting a little bit of that when you when you have a character like this. And immediately I was like, okay, we're gonna, we're setting up a love triangle, right? Because there's a, sort of an attraction between the two of them. She's afraid of him, but intrigued. Yeah, right?
1: I didn't and, and, get that yeah. right away. Like, I didn't, I, I actually didn't see the whole love triangle situation happen. I didn't know that he was going to be attracted to her and like like her until basically he kissed her or whatever. I was like, what the fuck?
0: Well. Okay, so I, I caught on to it at when they first sat around the fire at the barn a little bit later, and they have this heart-to-heart. That's where I started feeling the attraction. Like, in yeah. their very first meeting, he's a lot more adversarial. But yeah, like, that was where I started saying, like, oh, we're going to talk about his backstory, we're going to humanize him, we're going to talk about him, um, how she has this, like, kind of strange, you know, affinity for him. And it, and and they're sort of set up as, like, we're just two characters who understand each other because we have these powers that other people don't have. and mm-hmm. um. I thought that was cleverly set up, and that's where I was like, okay, we're going to get him as another romantic um, lead, and we're going to have this love triangle eventually develop throughout the book. Yeah. Um, It's kind of what I started to expect to happen. So let's get into the middle section here, and then we we can talk more. So Alina struggles to fit in with the other Grisha and to have confidence in her own abilities as she begins rigorous training. She feels a strong attraction to the Darkling, which he seems to reciprocate. During two encounters, they kiss, and Alina is confused by her reactions to the kisses. After demonstrating her power to the king and his court, Alina is told by her tutor, Bagra, that she must flee, that the Darkling is using her, that the Darkling created the Unsee, and that he intends to enslave her and use her Grisha power to conquer the world. Bagra also reveals that she is the Darkling's mother. Two weeks into her flight, she is nearly captured, but is saved by Mal, who has super has nearly a supernatural ability to track, and was sent to find her. Instead of turning her in, he helps her escape. Okay, so that's a big like that's a lot of the novel uh, we just covered there. But let's back up and talk about her first arriving at the palace, um, and and the introduction to the Grisha and, and like the magic systems and everything that we get here, and you know, in more of an introduction, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's like the magical school that we're getting yeah. here. Uh, I definitely got those sort of vibes she has several
0: instructors mm-hmm. who are like old crotchety tough love types. I'm a
1: sucker for those characters too because they're always yeah. fun. They're always like antagonistic but also like well they can be antagonistic. There's one usually one who's like kind of nice, yeah. like more nice than they should be and then there's one that's like a hard ass who's yeah. like pushing you and but it turns out they have like a heart of gold or or at least like they have like <laughs> better intentions than you would think. Bagra here. Yeah. yeah. And heart of gold. uh yeah, I I always find that to be interesting. Characters find themselves with those characters. I liked some of the training stuff. The the thing that I realized here though was uh I wanted to get a little more I almost felt like more time could have been spent here uh fleshing out some of the training cuz it felt like the training were I don't know. I guess it just felt like it was going by a little fast if that makes yeah. sense. Like I I felt like they would we it felt like we only got like three or four scenes of, of her actually training and then like a couple yeah. and then some time like significant time would pass and then we would get
0: another one. She'd be better and significant time would pass when she'd be better. I agree because there was a lot of um her learning to like fight absent her magic. Yeah. Which is cool. And then all of her magic training seemed to be with Bagra who it was mostly about getting her to be able to control her own sun summoning. Mm hmm. What I didn't feel like we were getting a lot of was a description of the small science, um, which is the magic system, and and like what how exactly it works. We get a little bit of that. But like through her actually learning the art and like learning to perform it, um, it just felt like there should have been more of that sort of instruction um, to make her feel like she fully understands the system of magic. Instead, it felt very focused on just her trying to get control of her sun summoning
1: yeah uh and there were scenes obviously where that she would have conversations with other summoners and other classmates or i don't even know if they call them classmates necessarily but other people yeah. in this in this area and um i i kind of was looking for more scenes outside of the training as well like some some more scenes of maybe like hijinks or something going on yeah. that they're, they're getting up to besides their day-to-day and then the conversations they have between this the training sessions
0: yeah, so let's talk a little bit about some of the other stuff going on. Um, we meet the royal family, um, which uh, there is this creepy figure who uh, is looming in the background. He's this apparat, and. Um, I mean he's Resputin. Do you know anything about Resputin? <laughs> this bit, guy's yeah. Resputin. <laughs> yeah. Um I was like, "Oh, okay, so this is a Resputin character." <laughs> and I was amazed at just how much he evokes Resputin to me. But I I realized that he's not maybe super well known and and popular. Yeah, culture, I guess so I I don't know enough
1: about him to to like I I guess I just thought that he was just a mysterious dude and that was similar.
0: Oh, he was like a he was like this spiritual grifter type who got like welcomed into the royal family and just like fucked everything up and and was manipulative and had like anyway there's a lot there's a lot that goes on with Mm -hmm. him so i'm really interested to see how much of that she leans into in future books if we actually get any of it or if um she ends up going away from it but i was was like wow she's really setting him up
1: yeah i definitely felt like this was a character that that didn't have a lot to do in the story but there was significant time spent like talking about this character at least that the character lurking
0: yeah yeah um, and then even his physical description, he has this beard, he's known for being, he kind of smells bad, he has these yellow teeth. And, like, it, Rasputin was known for being, like, uh, he was he was very big and, and, and bearded and, and sort of, like, feral-seeming. Um, so I thought that she was evoking some similar, you know, similar stuff with him. And then you also have this, like, kind of repulsive king... Um, and, um, we get the implication that maybe he has like sexually assaulted some people and he's this creep and, um, uh, yeah, the Royal family in general just seems like a bunch of bad people. Um, this queen who like, seems like very, I don't know, out of touch and, and obsessed with, uh, physical appearance. Um, and then that gives me the light though, cause I want to talk about the physical appearance stuff. Um, uh, there is a lot of discussions of. The main character's looks how she perceives herself and then the use of magic through this character uh, jenya who is who is assigned to like make her look presentable for the court um and it's sort of set up as like uh, here in the court everybody expects you to look a certain way so we're going to sort of like bring you up to this standard um so that you so that you fit in i guess um and then uh jenya uses her magic it's, it's kind of like a magical makeup makeover she gets yeah. a magical makeover what happens, and
1: Jinya also like has been like, I think the Darkling like forced her into that role too. Like, that's not something that's not like a desirable yeah. role within within these Grisha,
0: yeah. Although she is kind of known for being particularly good at it, I think, like, it's a skill of hers, yeah. So, because of that, I, I wanted to talk about this because, um, my wife also read this book, mm-hmm. um, while I was reading this. And she talked to me a little bit about how, like, you know, a lot of the stuff we've talked about. She, she really loved the world. She she thought the magic system was really interesting. Um, but one of her stumbling blocks was a lot of the stuff caught up in physical appearance. And how important it seemed to be. And how much focus there was on, like, needing to look beautiful in order to be powerful. Mm-hmm. And, like, um, it, yeah, it's complicated. Um, I, I, I won't speak for her anymore about that. But for me, I, I definitely was picking up on it, it was like she wanted to have an, a reason to say you have to do this because of the setting and stuff and there's a little bit of pushback from Alina she's like I, I, I'm happy with the way I look but then we quickly get into like how much she's enjoying it how much she feels more powerful mm-hmm. and as someone who was a a makeup artist for Lee Bardugo who was a makeup artist I, I can see the influence of that like feeling like you're bringing out people's best features and you're you're sort of highlighting that but there's also some like complicated messaging going on here, especially for young girls mm-hmm. uh, who might be reading this or young any young people who might be reading it and, and feeling like they aren't happy with their appearance and feeling like they need to do something to make themselves look more beautiful in order to be more powerful. Yeah,
1: I, um, I mean, just to touch on that, too, yeah. I, I was kind of surprised the first time it was mentioned that like all the people who have this magic, all the Grisha are all really good looking. And I was yeah. like, oh, interesting. So we're going to make all the really good looking people have powers. And like, what is that saying about, yeah. you know, just I, I don't know, norms like like what people, you know, will walk away having like like kids specifically. If, if like yeah. some 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 young adults or anybody was and, reading this and then they walked away thinking like, you know, the good looking people have powers.
0: Well, and also and, and this is something that I know Libertigo has talked about with the adaptation and she considers it something that she is glad they are fixing is uh, there is a complete lack of diversity in these characters. They're, Mm -hmm. I think, all described as being white. The features that are described as being beautiful are often blonde hair, blue eyes, red hair, green eyes, like very sort of almost Aryan uh, appearances. Um, And Lee Bardugo has talked about how she regrets that about this early book. And she thought that as she went over her time in her novel, she started to include a more diverse cast that represents or reflects the world around her and the people she knows mm-hmm. more accurately. And she's really glad that the show has a very diverse cast. Um, cool. And so that is something I'm excited to see. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's
1: awesome that that like as yeah. time went on, she she continued to like at, like try to do better.
0: You know, to, yeah. to realize what what you did. We touched on. How there is some potentially troubling messaging here, but it becomes even worse when you tie it to the fact that it seems to be implied that you also have to be white in order yeah. to be this kind of beautiful. And so that's obviously upsetting. So, you know, we're we're not the right people maybe to speak on this more than we are here, but um, it is something I picked up on and uh yeah i, I don't know it, i can also appreciate the idea of a magical makeover just being sort of fun like stop over analyzing it um you know she talks about how it's like highlighting her her best features like we all would like to do that right like everything we do is about highlighting the best features that we want to show to people right like mm-hmm. everything we do from our haircuts the way we style our you know what we wear um we do this all the time so it's kind of an extension of that just with magic and so in that sense it's cool but i just think uh, it's worth noting that it can turn some people off especially if they are someone who feels like they never fit the mold of beauty that is being held up here as like what should be sought after
1: yeah
0: i agree but beyond that let's talk about the reveal of the darkling let's do it because the darkling um they get to the point where they like make out and they have this like passionate kiss um, after this performance you know, that is put on in the mm-hmm. palace almost they basically um, almost have sex also like, they almost like, have which sex which is like a, interrupted
1: another, yeah which is another thing that I was picking up on is like sexual tension like uh, just like the, the the things that are going on in in, in your life at that age and, and like what oh, yeah. you're thinking about at that age like that that uh, for sure definitely struck me as something like it felt like it's so much more passionate. It feels like it's so intense. Um, yeah. I think for those reasons,
0: the, the intensity of the romance is, is amped up, amped up, amped up. And, and there's a space left in her life by the fact that at this time, she's been writing to Mal and not hearing back from him. And she's starting to go like, well, everything I thought was true about us is maybe over. Like maybe that was a time in my life and now I've moved on. He's moved on from me. Clearly he's not responding to my letters. Um, and we kind of know that this is probably inaccurate, <laughs> um but she's she's caught up in it, and it leaves space, I think, for the darkling to move in as a potential romantic interest um and it creates like an interesting dynamic if you start going like, "Well, is she right is she, should she be holding out? Is she right to be mad about mal and then also um it's tied to her magic, right like as you mentioned before, it's revealed that she when she originally got the test, and the reason this didn't come up is she was suppressing it because she knew basically that Mal wasn't going to pass the test. He, mm-hmm. he didn't have the magic and she didn't want to be separated from him, um, essentially. So she wanted to, like, suppress it and hide it. Um, so in a sense, she was, like, suppressing herself for his benefit and she learns to change the way she views that and, and actually just do things for herself and not for him. Yeah. Um, and there's sort of an empowering moment there, um, as she's, as she realizes that, which I think is good for her as a character.
1: Yeah. I think the, uh, there's she's also suppressing to the point that she doesn't remember this stuff like when she got the test like because she she goes yeah. around like it's not like she's under the impression that she has powers and she's suppressing them in because in it's a first person novel like it's from alina's point of view for the most part right and yes, so no, it is she uh it's not like she's like oh but i have a dark secret it's literally just like i'm not a grisha the whole time and then yeah. we get the reveal that she like unlocks this memory where she she was like oh shit i've been suppressing it this whole time and you know, that yeah. kind of explains why things are happening the way that they are. So so
0: we're about to get into where this this book shifts gears. And um for me, this is what elevated this book from a what I would consider an okay entry. Like it, it has things going for it and it has some stuff I like, and overall I was gonna come away from going, Yeah, that was okay. Mm-hmm. Um and it it, it, and it said shifted gears when the Darkling is revealed to actually be manipulating her lying to her knows full well that what he's doing and she is actually being groomed to be um a a tool for him to use a weapon and he is deliberately romantically manipulating her yeah um in in a in a a very dark way honestly and um i thought all that was like, a really cool kind of, like, earth-shattering revelation. Yeah. Um, there was hints of it happening uh, throughout, but I read this book very quickly, so because of that, I didn't have a lot of time to, like, ruminate about what could be happening. So maybe because of that, I didn't see it coming. I agree, yeah. Um, I, you know, and so I was surprised by it.
1: Yeah, I, I was I was the same way. Like, I was going through it at, at such a pace. I think one of the major reveals, too, was that he's not just... A darkling he's the darkling that created the, yeah the, the the shadowfold, and that was a big reveal for me, and it was like, oh shit, so he's like a super creep because he's like he lied and said he was like a hundred years old or whatever, but come to find out he's like super old way older than that he way yeah. older than that he's been manipulating this teenage or like young adult girl into like all of these romantic situations and and then like uh it's all been for power ultimately. Yeah, it was a it was a good reveal, and I I definitely I agree. I didn't see it coming in the ways that I probably should have if I was thinking about it. But you know, it made for an effective, like you said, hook. Like a, that was like yeah. a big reveal, and then and then that's to to, to also explain how powerful this person is because if he's just yeah. a darkling, it's different from being the original darkling that created the, the the fold. Yeah, because they talked about how difficult that would have been and how powerful that person was, and then you're like, oh shit, she's like, now she's like in confrontation with this ancient, older,
0: uh, like very powerful entity. He he was called the Black Heretic. That was who who was said to initially have opened the Shadowfold. And it's revealed that he is one and the same as the Black Heretic um, through Bagra. Um, So as the reveal goes, um, I did think it wasn't quite what I wanted it to be in the sense that it was Bagra essentially just telling her, this is what the effects of what's been going on. And then I think there was some sort of like magical showing a little bit of like, look at this, and this is proof of it. But what I would have liked to see a little more of is like, I would have liked to see a little more of her not just believing another person who's telling her something. Because ultimately, we don't know. There wasn't a lot of, in my opinion, compelling proof provided by Bagra. It
1: was just that Bagra showed that she also had dark powers. And then, and then was like, and that's my son. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but like, she just believed her, so again, it could be like this character could be lying to you. So, so I I would have liked to see her push back a little bit uh, in the sense of like I need to have proof, and then f- sought some sort of proof. I don't know what that would have looked like, but um, um, so I that was a moment, a kind of a missed opportunity for her to to like show some agency and also do it in a way that like maybe she she is you know it turns out that that Bogger is completely right, but not just take the first person to tell you this thing and go like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, that makes sense, and then I'm going to flee now. Um, but regardless, I did think that this this was where the change happened in the book where I felt like really hooked to it. Now, like from here to the end, I just kind of powered through because I was like very interested in what was going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, we get the reuniting of her and Mal. Um, there's an interesting sort of... Um, tension now because of course um like the first time she sees them is like right after she kissed the darkling and um before the reveal actually so she's like kissed the darkling but before she she has re- the revealed about the Bat- black heretic stuff she sees him again and they have kind of a fight about it um so there's a lot of this like delicious drama right <laughs> of being drummed up it's like both characters clearly love each other but they you know yeah. there's this other thing going on um it's good.
1: Yeah, and there's also this whole ownership thing going on where like uh, the Darkling has given her uh, his sigil and his clothing, and that's yeah, like a she... sign of that that he owns her or he's like mm-hmm. she's there with him kind of thing. And then that Mal sees her in that and like kind of calls her out for it and is like, "You're you you know he owns you at this point." And right. uh, this whole ownership thing carries through with with some stuff that happens in the next section, but uh, pretty fucking dark stuff when you think about yeah. it like that. And I didn't love, we'll get to that section in a second. I didn't love that she had to become like a, like basically a puppet, but we'll talk about it.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, Mal has been tasked. We find out with finding this stag, this magical stag that is going to act as an amplifier for her magic. Um, and also we, we, we find out in the reveal, not just an amplifier, but also like a means of control the darkling will have where he will be able to control her power through her. Um, and because Mal is this, like, incredible tracker, he was sent to track down this thing. So because of that, he has intimate knowledge of where it is. They decide to hunt a magic stag in the far north. If Alina kills the stag and makes a necklace of its antlers, her powers will be greatly amplified. After much time and effort, they find the stag, just as they realize how much Alina and Mal love each other. She refuses to kill the stag and the stag acknowledges this. At that moment, the Darkling and his minions appear. The Darkling kills the stag and forces the antler necklace on Alina, making her his absolute slave, unable to disobey him in the slightest. They quickly return south to the major crossing point of the Unsea. The Darkling forces Alina to protect the ship during the crossing. Near the other side, the Darkling extends the Unsea, causing great death and destruction. He then throws Mal off the ship onto the Unsea, to be devoured by monsters. In desperation, Alina finally realizes that her act of mercy, sparing the stag, gives her the possibility to break free of the Darkling's enslavement. Her love of Mal grants her the strength she needs. Alina breaks free, leaps out of the ship, saves Mal, and destroys the ship. The book ends with Mal and Alina taking passage across the True Sea, escaping from Ravka and the Darkling. So let's back up, going to find the magic stag and this sort of, there's like a road trip together where they they their romance, I think, finally starts to, to blossom, like for real.
1: I like, I like the scenes that they have together because I did feel like it was a chance for them to slow down and get some character moments together and like you sort of can fully buy into their romance at that point. There's apologies given kind of by... Um, mal and he's talking about how what i said before he didn't really see her uh he was sh- sort of overlooking her in his life and then um yeah ultimately builds to them like kissing and then at that moment the the stag shows up and then the moment of mercy and then the killing by the darkling,
0: yeah which was was a surprise um you know i, I like the idea of her deciding not to kill the stag um and then he comes in and kills it and then he, he also did he seems to show up kind of at magical times <laughs> this is like uh, it's happened a couple times in the book but um I guess he'd been tracking them and just was like waiting to biting his time to pop up. Um, we don't know how, but maybe we'll learn later how he's able to do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, this was, there's a lot of compulsion and control going on in this book and there's definitely some like squicky stuff going on there with that. Um, but it's also her fighting against that and like learning that her own inner strength is enough to like overcome it. And then also her act of mercy, um, gave her a tr- like a deeper connection with this amplifier uh stag to where she actually has control over it in a way that um, she didn't realize. Um, and I like I liked kind of the themes and and the the lessons being imparted there. I yeah. thought we're all raw.
1: I I definitely agree. That 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 was something that I felt was strong. It didn't feel like it was just like a like a last second reveal where it was like oh yeah and by the way secret power it was like a it was something that was earned so i appreciated it
0: yeah um one other thing i also i I maybe didn't touch on enough i thought this book was was pretty funny at times um Mm -hmm. i thought there was some nice quippy dialogue um one that particularly uh made me like kind of laugh out loud was when she has this moment where she's like you know mal if i get taken by the darkling you have to kill me like promise you'll kill me and she convinces him to promise and this is stuff we've seen in other media right mm. um but what i thought was really funny was when they, he brings it up later he's like yeah and then you know i'll cut your head off and she's like you, i didn't say cut my head off jesus <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking like a poisoning or something <laughs> it was violent yeah i thought that was pretty funny right like yeah. the cut your head off quip i thought was good um and, and throughout there was like some some nice like back and forth she would have with characters like that that um it felt kind of modern and fun, even though it was in this other setting, which, which I liked.
1: Yeah, I agree. I like that too.
0: So yeah, then we get this final trip across the dark, the unsee, we get this sort of tunnel of light. And then, um, she, she sort of realizes her inner, her actual control, reasserts herself. And, um, she then saves Mal. Yeah. They're able to escape the darkling. He, he, uh, he he's trying to put on this big show for these other, like, uh, emissaries from other realm. and he, he kind of succeeds too right like yeah. there's a moment demonstrating of, his power
1: yeah there's a moment of like defeat also within this where it's like i'm sure that that's going to have like ramifications going forward but he like uses he uses her initially when they're on the ship when they get out to the to the um shadow fold he uses the the power of her to then use his own magic to amplify the the darkness it sends it even further and like basically like takes over another like uh town or whatever another colony nearby and then yeah. uh like they just watch within all these people own get empire. killed within within the Ravka yeah
0: yeah it's like his own people yeah, yeah so we, he's just he's set up as this madman Exactly.
1: This and then man, and then like, he's telling all these emissaries and stuff like you were saying he's like he's like i'm going to make things better i'm going to end all these wars whether it, you know killing whoever i have to along the way so i'm going to yeah. become the tyrant here well
0: and the the there's another part of the reveal that said that the um the vulcra are twisted former people who were like caught up in the shadow and so he's behind all of this right like he's killed he's like killed thousands of people you know or more (laughs) and he controls it all and um he's sort of the dark lord at this point right like he's sauron but uh you know in this in this lovable guise for a while so i think it's really interesting character right and and um I'm sure he he continues to be fascinating throughout because yeah. he's definitely not dead at the end of the <laughs> Yeah, can safely The
1: twisted that. the twisted people thing was pretty pretty creepy and it worked for me. The like they're like screaming basically like when, yeah. when they're when they like the light blasts on them and stuff. And I also like yeah. the description of like when they're revealed in the light, like what they look like, um, and how different that 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 like they they it's described as like this area that hasn't been you know lit up in forever. And so just for the light to come in and reveal all of this that hasn't that hasn't been shown for such a long time um i liked a lot of that stuff and there's also that last chapter that i I liked it's sort of like um
0: it's the epilogue it's the epilogue yeah Yeah.
1: it's like a little little uh it felt like a teaser for more stories while also Mm -hmm. wrapping it up nicely and kind of making it feel like mythical and like it's like uh this story that's being told where it's like, and then the two orphans, you know, they've got back together and they're, they're lonely in the world again, but that's just right by them. Cause that's how they started to, together and alone and um, not knowing what's, what's ahead of them and that kind of thing. So it's like this full circle moment.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's the end of the book. I, I, I like, I like the way it wraps. It does feel like there's a lot more story to tell. I think you can clearly tell this is the start of a series um, but it wraps enough, right? Like it's always difficult to find that balance of like wrapping things up enough to where if no other book was ever published, you'd feel like you had, you know, justification for like ending the book where it ended. <laughs> um, but also leaving the door open for future books. And and, and, and so in that sense, this, this book really does it. Um, one of the things that I, I just had to mention is just like this is a problem with – um, First time novels, and people you know, like again, like my experience reading other manuscripts. Um, ending chapters with characters falling asleep or being unconscious um, <laughs> is is like a a, a it's like this unconscious thing that people do when they're writing, where they're like, "Well, I don't really know how to end this, so I'll have them go to bed." It reminded me, Well, "I me don't of- really know how to end this. I'll get them knocked out." Um, that happens a lot in this book. <laughs> I want to say a third. Of all chapters, end with her going to sleep or getting or being unconscious.
1: I mean, uh, it reminds me of our last project in Sleepy Hollow. Tim Burton, Sleepy Hollow. Johnny Depp is just like <laughs> constantly falling asleep or getting knocked out, yeah. and that's how you end the scene. And then he wakes up in a bed somewhere.
0: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it, it, within writing, especially ending chapters that way, I think a lot of people like like it's kind of like having a character wake up at the start. Like if, if, that's another big red flag. If if uh, if someone is reading your opening pages and it begins with the character waking up. It's kind of like, OK, yeah. maybe, you know, maybe don't don't begin there um, and don't don't yeah, don't end with someone going to sleep. Uh, of course, you can do it. Um, and sometimes that's a natural place for a chapter to end. Um, but there is something to be said for maybe doing it a bit much. And I felt like that happened here in this book. So that it just comes back to my overall takeaway. So let's talk about like overall takeaways from this book. And, and for me, it was a strong, strong world building, interesting magic and um, honest sort of like um, relatable emotional stakes can carry a book that might suffer from other issues. Um, it, ultimately, those things are more important. And I think it nails the really important things or at least does them well enough. Yeah. And what I expect is that a lot of the issues that I was sort of encountering in this book Go away, or are much smaller as you progress through the series. Yeah, that would be my guess. And much like the, like you said, *Philosopher's Stone* to the rest of *Harry Potter*, it's you know just tip of the iceberg. You're barely getting anything of what's going on in this world, and I'm sure that's the case here. Like if you're someone who's read all these other Grisha novels you're probably screaming about all the things that change as it goes on and get better. And, and, you know, and I fully understand that, you know? And um, so for me, it was like, this was, this was pretty good. It went from being okay to pretty good with the, the shifting of the gear. Um, it was a pretty good book. Um, ultimately. Uh, I'm definitely happy that I read it. I'm really interested to go into the adaptation now with this under my belt.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have very similar takeaways. A lot of the things that I liked, uh, you just touched on. So I'll just say like, I'm excited to go into this adaptation. I think this is a world that has a lot of potential. I think we saw some of it here. And I also wanted to agree with like, I I think Bardugo like consciously made the effort and made the decision to lean into some of these like YA tropes for a reason, you know, like, I don't think yeah. that, I, I don't think that's an accident. I don't think that it's, it's just like to create something like this, you're not doing it by accident. And so like deliberate choices were made to be like, I'm going to pull from this and I'm influenced by this. I like this. I don't like that. And sort of cr- craft her own version of the story. And I, I, I'm really excited to see more in the series. And, and like I said, I'd be willing to and interested in, in going forward in the series as well.
0: Yeah. And we should also say here that I don't know how much of the series is what is actually going to be covered in season one. We could very well get like all of book two. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to be really interested going in of like how, like could the, could this book could be in the first four episodes or something. I could totally see that happening. And maybe it does take the whole season. One thing that could be interesting is bringing in knowledge from future books and like developing the world with more texture than we necessarily got here, because this is a quick, like I imagine this book is probably like fifty to sixty thousand words. Mm. Um it's fast. Like we don't get a lot of in-depth description of of much at all. So when you're putting something on screen, there's going there might be a lot more world building that goes on. Yep. Um, I think there are characters I've seen listed that I don't recognize. Mm-hmm. so I think there are maybe whole plot lines and characters pulled from other books as well. Um, so there's a lot to be excited about as someone who hasn't read future books going in going like, what are we going to get here? I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for it.
1: I am too. Yeah. I, I did read that, uh, within this Grisha verse, like there's this trilogy and then there's like other like trilogies and, and a couple of yeah. novels here and there that aren't necessarily with these characters that are within the world. Right. So I yeah, assume that universe, that's all being yeah. threaded into this, this series. If, if, I mean, I, I guess in I, some way, that's yeah, what I, assume. I,
0: I, yeah, I would guess so. Um, but yeah, this was fun. Uh, we will be tackling the first four episodes of the Netflix series, uh, next week, which I think that series comes out on like Friday or something, right? Very so, soon, yeah. very cool. Um, we'll we'll, t- we'll do the first four, and then we'll come back do the final four and wrap our thoughts on the show. Um, thank you for joining us with this. If you enjoyed this episode, a great way to let us know is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you used. Or um, oh, I wanted to say there's a PodChaser thing going on right now, where if you leave a review on PodChaser, they donate like twenty five cents. To um, like uh, it's like a, a hunger, like combating hunger uh, organization, donating food, essentially. And if you do that, we can respond to you on Podchaser and then they'll donate another 25 cents for every time you do that. Essentially, 50 cents gets donated. Right. Um, so, yeah, if you leave us a review on there, it's also giving money to people who are you know, hungry, which is great. Yeah, that's awesome. Also, connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, all of those at ink to film. And if you wanted to support the podcast monetarily, we have a Patreon where we release bonus content on there monthly. Uh, we'll be doing another one here soon. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be, but it will be coming out in the next like week and a half or so. Um, and uh, yeah, we would love to have you on there. There's lots of cool stuff available, merch, all kinds of things. So check that out if it interests you, patreon.com slash ink to film.
1: And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music.
0: All right, that is going to be it for this week. I had a lot of fun with my first foray into the Grishaverse. And until next time, thanks for listening.